Welcome to the Salted Podcast, where we are translating and transforming our view of politics, pop culture, and personal preference. In this episode, we'll begin the first of a five-part series on contemporary critical theory. What are the foundations and informative beliefs that shape this controversial worldview, and how does it stand in contrast to a gospel-centered worldview? Let's get salty. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Salted Podcast. My name is Yon. This is Dan Williams. Williams. <laughs> Sound like you're going to give it a last name. I know. Stop. Kind of like uh, a big buildup in the cliffhanger. Well, right we're at the beginning. Started off with a bang. Uh, <laughs> my name is Yon Whiteway. If we're going last names, but uh, welcome to the latest episode where we are talking about a very big, big. Hot topic of conversation these days. Anywhere you turn, you're going to hear about it. And it's the idea of critical theory. Yeah, this isn't a passing trend, I don't think. You know, We picked up on this um, not trying to hit something that's trendy and that will one day be, I believe, some kind of distant oddball similar to a crash diet. Um, my sense is this is a massive kind of line of thinking worldview that um, deserves to be prioritized. Right. It's not going anywhere. It's making serious inroads and informing a lot of different things um, mm. in our culture, politically, um, culture wars. It's talking about the church. It's being spoken of in the church. And mm. so it's something we have to, we have to talk about. It's, yeah. In, in fact, this is so big, we can't, we're not even going to tackle this in one episode. I know you are wanting, dear listener, to listen to us talk for three hours straight, <laughs> but we're not going to do that to you, so we are going to kind of break this up into almost five podcasts. We're going to do one today about the macro, that's kind of like an introduction, kind of 30,000-foot view of critical theory, and then four specific deeper dives into how it kind of manifests in the specific areas in which it touches yeah perfectly said so no sorry sorry everyone no three and a half hours for us but the good news is if you stick around uh at the end of this one we're talking personal preferences and it's sun's out ice cream's out that's a saying right yep but if you stick around we're going to talk about whether we prefer hard ice cream or soft serve ice cream so prepare yourselves emotionally for that but let's just jump right in. And um, I think, as usual, the best thing to do is probably start with some common definition of terms so that we're all thinking and talking about the same thing. Yeah, it's shocking how vital this idea is becoming in my world, Yon, the idea of just defining terms. Yeah. It is brand new to me as I start to get fully engaged with thinking outside my own tribe, outside my own camp, where... Almost never now is anybody I'm speaking with sharing a sim a common de um, definition of any term that we're talking about. Right. And so, yeah. And even more so with this one, because there are so many things that contribute to it um, in, a, in a Twitter world that we live in where people just want to just shoot out little comments here and there and small definitions. It's pretty it's a you're not really doing your due diligence. It's pretty irresponsible just to, to assume that everyone is thinking about the same thing. Right. So let's start with defining contemporary critical theory. Yeah, so critical theory. So I guess the first place to start is 
the idea that a lot of people think critical theory is one thing. It's a monolithic thing that mm -hmm. everyone thinks in the same direction, developed by a bunch of academics, and critical theory means one thing and one thing only. But it's actually not a singular theory. Um, it's kind of a, it's rather a, a fragmented area of knowledge, and it influences a lot of varying ranges of academic disciplines. So I've heard these, this, I've heard a lot about this recently, very much connected to... Um, kind of the European um, contemporaries, really, not necessarily, you know, centuries ago, but contemporaries? Yeah, so not centuries, well, maybe, I don't know what, what's a century, 100 years, right? Yeah. So we got um, probably um, a little 100, 150 years ago, maybe. Yeah. Not ancient. Yeah, so words. it's not ancient, yeah, right. so we're not talking about uh, Greek mythology or anything right. like that, uh, or Plato and stuff like that. We're just, we're, it's really, our critical theory has its, really, its origins, and you, if you've, I mean, if you've spent two minutes diving into, if you've gone more than one click deep, you're going to hear the terms like the Frankfurt School. So the Frankfurt School is kind of the, the place that people think it originated, this whole critical theory um, conversation. And that was just a school founded by Marxist philosophers and sociologists. And they were just dissatisfied with how slow hmm. communism was being progressed. And so they decided, hey, let's start a school and let's propagate our communist okay. uh, ideas. Right. And so... They're Marxist ideas. And so really what they did in, in kind of the origins of critical theory is they they were trying to discover or um, describe how workers are enslaved, not merely by economic conditions, which is, you know, very similar to, you know, very prominent in Marxist uh, ideology, but also specifically to the machinery of culture and, com and, and consumerism. Hmm. So... Uh, the the you know the powers the the power of oppression is on the workers not simply by economic means but culturally and by mm. consumerism and so so when you say Marxist we would be we would be identifying primarily an economic philosophy yeah most of the time we think of right the proletariat and the bourgeoisie and that that's the, exactly the what I, that's the yes. first thing I think of <laughs> right. everyone does uh, but the opposite of capitalism really right mm -hmm. so it's the, the the economical framework that we look in but really they were talking about how do we expand that um hmm. to culture and consumerism okay and so that kind of expanded uh, it kind of along with their intentions and it kind of infected and um grew into politics of psychology and the idea of a cultural revolution so not necessarily just a political is taking up arms and overthrowing the government but culturally you can you can have a revolution there as well so the premise is that there is something someone enslaved and they're um this is a philosophy of basically um freedom overcoming breaking free right there is an oppression happening and it's not necessarily just economic gotcha. it's cultural and it's um driven by consumerism and psychological and so really i guess in other words you could say critical theory work to promote freedom and liberation, mm -hmm. um, but not just from physical or economic bondage, but kind of oppressive cultural ideas gotcha. and values. So gotcha. it went from the tangible to kind of the intangible. So, um, but I think one of the things, again, if you have listened to anything at all, you, you're going to hear terms like, oh, they're cultural Marxists or something like yeah. that, or the, the, impl the, the implications of how uh, informative Marxism is, is in the critical theory. I mean, I think there is, one of the dangers is that we can actually overstate that, which yeah. which it's usually everyone just says they're Marxists. They're Marxists. Yeah, they're that's Marxists. the that's the pushback on Black Lives Matter from uh, from the right. Correct. Yeah, yeah you're going to hear they're just they're Marxists. Right? right. So that's so it's dismissed as a failed economic uprising. Right. Exactly. Philosophy. And so I think a lot of times in in our conversation around definitions, it's yeah it, this 
can be overstated. I mean, like modern critical social theories, there's a bunch of different sources that they draw from. So mm. again, we're speaking in modern modernity, like not ancient times, right? right. Um, so, I mean, if you're a nerd about this, I'll just list a few. Post-structuralism, <laughs> anti-colonialism, intersectional scholarly, focusing on feminism, queer studies, and kind of race theory. Yeah. So all of these different... Um, things that inform the modern day conversation around critical theory. So it's not just while well, they're communists. Yeah, I've heard that this is the source of the uh, on-campus university coursework that would be like uh, gender studies, uh, women's studies, um, um, I guess race studies right or or even um a grievance culture a grievance studies right uh, that's where i've that's where i've kind of heard this phrase these phrasing right exactly so we do ourselves a disservice if every time we think we hear the world critical theory we just think they're communists they want to overthrow okay. the so it's just a you know they they're expanding the idea that we're being a people are being oppressed beyond just the the economic framework in which we're living in the political framework so yeah. And so I think just for our purposes, we're going to do, like you, like we said, we're doing a, a bunch of podcasts on this. And so we're not really attempting, as we had this conversation, to characterize kind of the narrow iteration of critical theory kind of espoused in the Frankfurt School. Hmm. Um, or, so we're not going super narrow in to say, hey, let's go to the origins. Or we're also not going tremendously broad in that all of these different things. We're not trying to speak to all of it all at once. Right. So we're not going super narrow. We're not going super broad. Um, we're actually just going to focus on the particular manifestations of critical theory kind of in our contemporary culture. Gotcha. So really, okay. how, really pragmatic. Like, how does this actually affect the different areas of our lives um, that we kind of are going to be able to encounter? Yeah. And obviously, we're going to uncover ways. This is primarily why we're doing this podcast is because we're going to uncover ways in which it has infiltrated our lives in ways that we have no idea. It's not just headlines. It's not just political speeches. It's not just Twitter feeds. We're going to uh, we're going to identify how does this matter in our lives every day in our contemporary culture. Right. Exactly. And so our goal is we're going to discuss how this worldview is in alignment or misalignment with a gospel-centered worldview, a biblical worldview, and how these ideas are currently exerting influence on our civil discourse, in our universities, in our churches, in our political conversations. Um, and so that's kind of how we're going to aim this whole conversation over the next couple of episodes. How do, uh, Yon, what are the terms that we need to, uh, that might help our listener recognize what we have been hearing and why we would, why we would attempt to um, kind of translate and transform this particular topic? Yeah, so you're probably, you've probably heard terms like white privilege or white fragility. Um, you might have heard colorblind racism, intersectionality, like these are terms that we're not unfamiliar with if you're connected to to the cultural conversations um and it's kind of important to realize the um kind of where those terms are originating from and what's the root and how those how those terms are surfacing um and because those have implications like labels and and terms like that inform the way critical theory is going to is trying to shape our world Mm -hmm. yeah And, and how our biblical worldview 
is in alignment or misalignment with that with those um but i mean everyone's heard these terms sometimes we don't connect them to critical theory but they're pretty prevalent and it's informing the way that we're living yeah and my sense isn't that these again are going to kind of be used in pop culture and then eventually we come up with some new terms later on that we're thinking about and we're hearing right yeah exactly Um, it's not like the term vax hole where i mean we're currently in a vaccination thing and if you're a little bit arrogant about your i mean that term will come and go i think but yeah yeah these other ones not so much so and uh that that what you just said there will get a say get us a pg-13 rating oh now. no longer family yeah, friendly as a badge of honor yeah but, um, <laughs> yeah so so that's kind of why we're talking about it right kind of yeah. common definition it's really it can be some people are nerds about it and they t- go really narrow it's talk, let's talk about the frankfurt school and some of them go really wide and they say let's this applies to everything and i think that's a mistake we're going to talk about contemporary critical theory specifically about how it actually influences our everyday lives um, that we're kind of going to inform. Yeah, and this is why it's important, um, and it, it's why it's an, an urgent pop culture issue, especially for our church locally here, but but even bigger, it's, it's urgent for the church, right? Um, so this is why we would take this on right now because critical theory contemporary critical theory is appealing yeah it is a it is a treatment for a problem that i think we can identify with very very vividly we can identify with especially because the media has been holding this problem up uh really in a in a in a vicious news cycle for really a long time now and Contemporary critical theory is appealing because real people are suffering. Right. And real people who we see and we sympathize with, they deserve relief. Mm-hmm. And most people are compassionate and they want to do their part, I think, in helping to ease the pain. And critical theory seems to offer a tangible way for people, Christians, especially compassionate Christians, to help bring relief to those people who are suffering or claim to be suffering or have been um, uh, have been characterized as one who has been suffering race, gender, um, orientation, you name it. So who wouldn't want to embirth? Uh, yeah, I don't want to embirth. <laughs> yeah, that sure. was my question. So yeah. that's the proper answer. Who 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 really wouldn't want to embrace words like anti-racism? Who would not want to identify and embrace words like equity and right. inclusion so really it's it's uh it's urgent because critical theory is confronting the evils of power structures and corruption and and really even the blindness that power causes within people and contemporary critical theory offers a compelling explanation yep. for why the struggle that the people who are hurting and struggling are having isn't their fault yep Exactly. It is. It is. So that's a compelling theory. Um, you know, if if you're a victim and you are offered a theory to explain your victimhood or your suffering or your struggle, yeah. and the theory says at its core you are not responsible for any of it, you know, that's appealing. Yeah. Yeah. So you're. It's appealing to the one who is suffering, and it's also appealing to the one who wants to help 
So here we have this critical, this, this contemporary critical theory that is very compelling. It's very, like I said, who wouldn't want to, who wouldn't want to be an anti-racist? Right. Who, who, who would not want equity for all people, yep. especially if you're a compassionate Christian? Yep. It's, it's, it's important. I think this is the critically important part of critical theory, especially as Jesus followers. And we're, we're looking at this approach to life is that it is a worldview, right? It's a worldview. And, and, and why it's appealing is because when they look, when you look through the lens of critical theory, you are, as you said, you're actually identifying a lot of the same problems that this, the people who look through the gospel lens That's identify, right. Yes. right? There are people who are suffering, real people who are suffering, who deserve relief because they're created in the image of God. We that's say, right. that's why, right? I mean, we don't, we think that the, the, the gospel addresses that and mm. we don't want people to suffer. Right. And we should be more compassionate. Um, and the idea that there are, you know, racism exists, the idea that inequality exists, like those things that we agree with. Right. Um, and then we also, as Christians say, Hey, we are going to, we, there are actual power structures and there's evil and there's corruption and there's blindness. Right. Yep. All those are appealing because everyone is living in a real world where they can yep. see those things. And exactly. so it's, it's appealing because you say, well, I'm identifying the problems correctly. Um, and so the question then becomes, well, we have, it's a worldview. Then the question then becomes, is it a compatible worldview right. to the biblical worldview and to the gospel center? Well, worldview? here we go. This is the root problem. The a main root problem of contemporary critical theory is it is it is it is it is a specific and deliberate replacement counterfeit worldview so there's a christian worldview and this uh, theory replaces it hmm. this theory counterfeits it and it generates inside of the worldview several sub problems and you described this at the beginning when you introduced that there's kind of these these underlying uh, branches that come out of the root if the root is a counterfeit worldview the branches that come out are this that contemporary critical theory is a replacement and counterfeit source of identity a counterfeit replacement source of explaining original sin and redemption a counterfeit replacement theory or worldview that defines truth and makes truth claims and also that is a replacement counterfeit view of what it is to to be flourishing as a human for example owning your own private property uh, the work you do justice social justice um, just the basic nuclear family all of that is a worldview that critical race, or I should say, contemporary critical theory explains and describes and, and gives you a lens to see all of that through that is in complete incompatible competition with the Christian worldview. Right. And so they make some prescriptive, and we're going to talk about this in our continuing conversations in our next couple of episodes as well. We're going to dive into each of those ones. We're going to talk specifically about how it's a counterfeit to identity, how it's a counterfeit to the biblical worldview of original sin and redemption. And like you said, the idea of truth claims that counterfeit truth claims, and then another full episode on that counterfeit view of human flourishing, where we'll dive deeper. And specifically because those are the ways in which critical theory kind of manifests themselves in right. our everyday life. And they will, when we look at them really closely, 
we're going to see how it's not just an academic theory that stays in the the realm of academia. It informs the way we live, uh, the way we interact with each other, the way our organizations are formed, the way we our political discourse, the way our nation. It kind of it 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 goes from the individual heart kind of all the way into mm-hmm. our homes and yep. our neighborhood, which is ironic because that's what we talk about here at North Central and the, how the gospel transforms us. Exactly. And and I think this is playing out in the way that policing is described and the way that policing is covered and the way that policing is um, critiqued. So that's one of the main ways that we see all of this play out. But we won't, I mean, we're by no means experts on, on policing, but we will see how this surfaces as, as a part of the worldview. Right. And so today we're going to, we're going to, get that 30,000 foot macro view. We're going to go over, um, we've kind of done some defining and those are the four different areas that we'll dive into in the next episodes. But just in general, um, as the worldview of, of contemporary critical theory um, exists at the macro level, what are some of the ways um, in which the biblical worldview either stands in alignment mm. or misalignment, and uh, how do we as Christians kind of approach this from the macro level? Yeah, I mean, f- we have to start from the beginning, and the beginning is that God has provided to us and for us a worldview, a, a way in which to view the world, right? So the explanation for the source and the solution to this suffering that we've referred to, um, and really all human suffering, is revealed in the Christian worldview. God created humanity. He designed every aspect of creation. He designed every aspect of civilization with specific intentionality and immutable purpose. In other words, purposes and intentions that can't be changed and modified. Uh, so, and in the whole Bible, God reveals this to us. He reveals his desires. He reveals the, the designs that he has created and generated and the purposes that are behind and inside of those designs. And these are unchangeable absolutes that have been set in place from a intelligent designer who has a image of a father and a creator. And these very... Um, truths provide a functional worldview that the human race is dis, uh, discovers or is it, it has the power or is enabled to discover. Sure. So, um, so that is essentially what the 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 Christian worldview says that the solutions are explained. The source. For the explanation for all of this human suffering is in the Bible as a Christian worldview, which is obviously incompatible. Right. If it's different, it's incompatible. Right. At the foundational level, we believe in a creator, right? And that the and the simple way is if you create it, you get to do whatever you want, right? Yeah. You, you're the one who makes the rules. You're the one who has prescribed for your creation how to best live in f- human flourishing and where you get your identity and even the idea of why suffering happens and the solution and remedy to it. And so contemporary critical theory removes that foundational element of there is an objective creator who informs all of that. Yeah, and and if you do that, then you get to look at something that something has been, you know, the, the creator has designed it, and then you say, but I am going to distort the intention of that design or the purpose of that design. And that's, that's essentially, and we'll, and we'll dig into this. Um, but there's some, there's some 
ways in which we should be, I think, attentive and careful about the way we engage right. contemporary critical theory. Yeah. And so all of you who are listening, you're thinking they need to talk more about critical theory, contemporary critical theory. <laughs> Don't worry. We got multiple episodes coming. We'll dive into each of those four specific areas. But specific, can you tell us a little bit about it kind of, how do we engage it? Yeah. Like, even as Christians, we're, we're looking at it. We obviously, we've kind of covered, we don't want to just call everyone a Marxist, right? Because I mean, even just being winsome in our approach and the whole idea of salting our yeah. worldview. Can you tell us a little bit how do we exactly, engage Exactly, Yon. Well, I'm going to I'm gonna kind of zoom back out like I normally would and say, how do Christians function in the world anyway? I mean, we're doing a podcast called Salted with the idea that we need help seeing and understanding and getting some real direction on how to bring the the unique Christian worldview to our world, to our culture, in a way that adds flavor, right? So I'm going to use the same principles I would. So uh, starting with the idea that while critical theory is certainly serious threat to the church, certainly I see it, in my opinion, a growing threat to the kind of the Judeo-Christian church, uh, there's still a few things that I think should be considered. Number one, we should be very careful, and uh, one one um, apologist uses the word charitable in our language. Um, and I, here's a question for all Christians who are listening to this. How do you like when someone uses the phrase, born those born-agains? Right? I so, love it. I love it. I know you do. Yeah. So, so when someone says... You know, and then this guy stood up and he was, uh, he starts saying one thing or other, and obviously he's one of those born agains, right? There is so, there's such a cringe effect for most Christians who would say, What do you mean by that? Yeah, it's a pretty, that's obviously not a term of endearment. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> so if we don't like the phrase born agains, I think it's helpful for us to be reminded to be careful to understand the terms we're using. And on the one hand, Christians should be hesitant to throw around words like, you know, white privilege and whiteness and intersectionality and, and any of these other terms, anti-racism, without taking the time to understand the ideology in which these concepts really are embedded. Right. But so, to, I mean, take the time, right? Yes. I mean, that doesn't mean read one tweet and exactly. then read the comments in that you tweet know, or something. Exactly. <laughs> take the time to understand or listen to the Salted Podcast. You're welcome. So, uh, and then on the other hand, just the idea that someone talks about oppression or someone mentions social justice or a preacher preaches about it or, a, you know, someone's, you overhear a conversation just because someone's talking in terms like oppression and social justice isn't, that fact is not remotely sufficient to decide or conclude that they've embraced critical theory. Right. And if they're the only ones talking about oppression and social justice and you aren't necessarily having those conversations. It's more of an indictment on us. Maybe. Exactly. So. Exactly. So, so there's some basic rules of good dialogue, of course, right? We, we, as, as if we're going to salt the earth, if we're going to transform culture the way that God has intended for us to do, we have to skip altogether name calling, labeling people, um, and, and we have to be careful to engage in what people explicitly have said, not speculation about what their intentions might be, 
not um, ascribing to them intentions. That's the worst for sure. Right. And attack ideas. You don't attack people. Ask really, really good questions. Listen to learn. Listen yeah. to understand. When you speak the truth, do it in love. Use words full of grace. Uh, season it with salt. Um, and in an increasingly fragmented culture, Christians should be known for their graciousness towards those whom they disagree. Right Now, here's why I think there's a lot less uh, graciousness than there ought to be on. Because I think a lot of the Christian community feels like they're in a war. Right. And they feel like they've been told this war is happening, that that one side is on is a, is their opposing enemy. And if they don't get in there and throw haymakers, verbal haymakers, if they don't quote unquote stand up for the truth almost like aggressively and um, almost verbally violent then they are described as, A, they're not even in the battle. They're getting trampled. They're losing. They're losing ground. They're getting overtaken. And you talk about a lack of just awareness that this is God's battle. If there's any battle going on, right. which we know there is biblically, right, it's his battle. So my my role is to take on the nature of Christ, to, be, to use his wisdom, to be harmless as doves, wise as serpent, uh, but be loving in the way we communicate, respectful. Right. And um, I think that we're going to make a lot of progress with, with graciousness. And, and, that, and that means we avoid throwing verbal grenades. You know, using phrases like cultural Marxism uh, is a trigger. And it would be a trigger because extremists on the right and on the left use those that phrase. Right. So as soon as you say cultural Marxist, then the person you're talking to shuts down because you just identified with an extremist right. it's, it's almost essentially like it's their language the other side the cultural marxist would say you're a white supremacist exactly, exactly. okay well okay nope. conversation's yep. over exactly exactly so. yeah so so we have to obviously be very wise in the in the terms that we're right. that we're using what are some of the when you think of when you're talking about the war like i mean is it true that most people, when they're in this war, the thing that they're more afraid of losing isn't necessarily the advancement of the kingdom of God, but they they view themselves as fighting for their their country and their patriotism, and that's why they're yeah. in the war. Yeah, man. I mean, that's a that's a whole nother. I mean, <laughs> you just you just uh, open the gate in another path. But I I think so. I think okay. so. I mean, the, it's it's charged up for sure. Um, and 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 one day, God willing, maybe we'll we'll kind of walk down that path too. Yeah. So we're talking. I mean, the, these are like you said; these are kind of big world. Like, how does a Christian approach anything, right? And specifically in the context of contemporary critical theory, you approach it with graciousness, with humility, by asking great questions, by loving people. Um, so, what are? I mean, that's a kind of a bigger approach right you can do that you can apply that to a lot of the things different things but specifically to, to contemporary critical theory but what are some kind of i mean specific things when you think of how do i challenge critical yeah. theory or even kind of okay like, so i had that yeah, conversation that's a, good, that's a good question i mean the, the first approach that, that i mentioned was how do we engage it right when we have these conversations it's gracious and you understand terms and you don't throw cultural or you don't throw verbal haymakers and, and so on trigger words and things like that so if you wanted to if you wanted to challenge critical theory then I think I think we have to position ourselves, you know, and this is so important, this is so vital. We have to position ourselves as a group of people 
who have discovered something that offers a brighter, saltier, more flavor, flavor, uh, flavorful, yeah, flavorful solution to these terrible problems that people are facing. Right. So, as the local church, we have to shine brighter as a let's say as a winsome witness to God's kingdom. So so here's the world that we're living in. We're all sharing this world and we're seeing this play out on all of our screens. It's saturated with evil. It's divided by enmity. And it's it's no wonder that critical theories promises that it makes of justice and um, relief and inclusion, it's attractive. No right. wonder. So when a church demonstrates true neighbor love and fellowship and community across these barriers and lines of race and class and gender and what have you it undermines the idea that critical theory is the only path to human flourishing it undermines it 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 replaces it as a solution and then someone sees and discovers oh i think this person is telling me there's a true and better solution right there's a true and better relief there's a deeper more unifying solution to these hardships or healing to this brokenness and so the christian worldview as the church becomes the church lives like the church and offers the solutions that the church ought to ought to offer it undermines the ideas right ironically i I mean from the as you mentioned the war and engaging how people are i mean they are there is a massive movement against critical theory contemporary critical theory but as you're describing this the challenge isn't painting a picture of what it could look like and here's what god's kingdom looks like look how great it is it's better the picture that most people are painting is just a world without critical contemporary critical theory so we're essentially saying we don't want your worldview that's our kind of our angle we just don't want we just don't want your worldview and instead of saying yes we have a worldview and a picture of the future that God provides us that is so more significantly more compelling that instead of just saying, here's our picture of the future, it's just not your worldview. Yes. And we say, here's our picture of the future. It's the biblical exactly. worldview of what the kingdom of God looks like. And exactly. I think that's when the challenge is like, well, I mean, who's going to respond to that? Right. I remember, I remember growing up, um, hearing this phrase that I really liked and I think it's so vital and so true for us now. And that is the world is, is the world is saying to the Christian church, Okay, we get it. We know what you're against. Exactly. But yeah. we have no idea what you're for. Yep. And this is how we challenge contemporary critical race, critical theory. We basically say, this is what we're for. Right. And this is how we get there. And and evidently, we have not done a compelling job of painting that picture and living that reality. Right. And I think that's going to show up in our, in our upcoming yeah. episodes. And I think that there is a, and we're not naive, we know that we can paint that great picture of what the kingdom of God looks like, but there will be people who are advocating a competing worldview who are going to say, yeah, but we need you to affirm our worldview. And mm-hmm. we'll just say, no, we are advocating the kingdom of God and biblical principle. And we know there's some people who just won't accept that. They're going to say, no, you need to, you need to actually tell us that what we're doing is okay. And you do embrace it. And then there could be some, you know, there's friction there naturally because of two competing worldviews, right? And so um, we're not naive and saying, well, if we just paint the picture of the kingdom of God, everyone will be just, it'll be so hunky-dory, it'll right. be kumbaya, it'll be great. No, there's going to be some friction because we have differing perspectives. But as a starting point, it's 
approach people with humility, right. ask a lot of questions, well, look, and then have the conversation about what the kingdom of God actually looks like. Right. And we would actually be talking to people who are made in God's image, who we're trying to say are lovable because God created them. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and and uh, their worth is inherent in their humanness, not in their ideology, not in their uh, uniformity with my view. So it's it's kind of a catch-22. Um, I think it's important to mention, too, Yon, when we're challenging this theory, it, it can't be overstated enough, I don't think, to be very aware, alert, and familiar with primary source material. And let me, I mean, this is the perfect opportunity to connect people to someone who is uh, helpful in this topic uh, as, as much as anybody I think could possibly be. And that's someone by the name of Neil Shenvey. And Neil and Pat Sawyer have written extensively on this. And one of the things Neil has done is he has, he himself is familiar with all of these source materials, primary source material. And, and, and honestly, in comparison, Christians generally are pretty ill-equipped to represent um, a critique of critical theory because of just relying on one-liners, Twitter feeds, news coverage, um, political phrases and statements. So, so it's super helpful to get yourself acquainted with the works of Robin D'Angelo. And, and uh, I mean, there's limitless. If you go to Neil's uh, website, you'll, you'll discover uh, all of the original source material. And you can get familiar with that yourself, which is a huge step in the right direction. Right. And then also, I mean, get familiar with what the kingdom of God looks like and what the biblical principle of. Here's what, here is that preferred yeah, picture of the future that we are actually advocating. Turns out we have a source material. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right? Yep, yep. So, yep. So, that, yeah, there's, I mean, it, I mean, we have to, we keep saying this over and over again, but, you know, go beyond your social media feed and go beyond your, your, you know, your news commentary where people are spending two and a half minutes yelling at each other about this exactly. and that, you know, get get deeper into it and, and get a little bit of information. So. Here's one of the things that Neil says that I think is worth quoting. He says, let's commit to understanding critical theory so that we can recognize it, critique it, and show people that true freedom and joy are ultimately found in Christ alone, not in civics, not in activism, not in the government, not in new policies, not in a theory. Yep. And that is exactly what we're aiming to do. But that's probably not the most important thing we'll do on this podcast. Probably the most important thing we'll do is explain to people why one kind of ice cream is better than another. That's right. And it's the summertime here-ish. Yeah, Almost, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. the sun is shining more than it. Listen, here's does. what I've decided to do. If there's a clear sky and the sun's out, the summertime. Yep. In my mind, it's summertime. Yep. And it doesn't matter if it snows three days later. It's summer. So, <laughs> if you are venturing out to get yourself a delicious little treat with the family, or you're sneaking out by yourself and eating ice cream in the car alone, um, the question is where. When you go to your favorite ice cream establishment, do you prefer hard ice cream or soft ice cream? And then if you want to go a couple layers deep, you can tell us what kind. Okay, this is so easy. First of all, by soft serve ice cream, do you mean custard or do you mean soft serve ice cream? I'll go with custard because custard is... Okay. I think right. it's significantly better. Okay. Now that's... I that's, guess we... Wait, isn't it? I don't think it's better. I think it's different. If you get good soft ice cream... 
It's just different. Well, this is my personal preference. Yon. I think custard is better. Oh, you're saying it's I better. <laughs> I think so. Than hard ice cream? No, I'm saying on, on the soft ice cream okay. scale, okay. Gotcha. I think custard is the better. So we should compare, in my mind, the best of the soft ice cream world with the best of the So hard I thought ice we were doing world. a macro personal preference. You're doing a micro personal No, no, I just, it just emerged in our conversations. <laughs> so it's just totally organic. Right uh, yeah, here. yeah. It's, folks, this is natural. This was not planned, everybody. This, this is. is... <laughs> so, uh, so Yo, and you prefer, in the soft ice cream category, you prefer custard ice cream custard i think so okay now do you know that custard is typically put in a kind of a bin and it's and it functions like frozen ice like hard ice cream i think so did i just say it functions it has a functional (laughs) value i'm not i am like how about you talk about ice cream because i am not an ice cream connoisseur i know what i like no i think i think you're dead on with custard being (laughs) better than soft ice cream so would you prefer hard ice cream or soft now i think the reason why i said this is so simple is because for me i have to just make a distinction if i'm at a place that specializes in homemade hard ice cream then i go homemade hard ice cream for sure if i'm in a place that doesn't they kind of bring it in from some other vendor Mm -hmm. they've got a farm or a dairy or whatever and that's not their specialty is homemade hard ice cream, then I go with the soft serve. Mm. And, but there are so many different, like, uh, tiers of quality soft ice cream. But we'll leave that out of this conversation. And I would say, if they serve homemade hard ice cream, I prefer that. Okay. What flavor would you go for? I can't answer that question. I can't. I, I was locked into Peppermint Patty forever, which is dark chocolate chips and peppermint candy chips. Um, but I have decided that my life is short. There is very, very little time left. I can't be eating peppermint patty ice cream for the rest of my life. I've got to kind of branch out. Yeah. I got to break like out. going to vacation the same spot every exactly. year. You got to go to Europe. Exactly. Yeah. You can't eat at Cracker Barrel every single day. Well, they got that fried chicken now. So. <laughs> That's true. So... So then I broke out and I then I would get into like categories, peanut butter ice cream categories mm-hmm. or coffee ice cream categories. I try to stay away from the fruit uh, no for no reason other than these other ones are a little bit more interesting. Why would you, this is a whole, is, it is another whole another episode, but. Well, this might be an fruit, actual topic, not in, a personal preference. Yeah, fruit in your dessert. Why would you choose fruit in your dessert when the other options like chocolate and peanut butter and things exist but that's neither here nor there and that could be the most compelling question that we've presented that's right so um the other categories of course beyond peanut butter and beyond um coffee is also kind of the candy bar category Mm. which is also worth exploring so i've kind of ventured out so i can't answer the question what's my favorite but i do like those three categories minty pepperminty i like uh um coffee and, and peanut butter categories you've really you have put a lot of thought into this you've done your research you you've got a picture of the kingdom of gods in, in the ice cream you got that down you know god has provided all things and all things are good especially ice cream well i like to take hard ice cream and put it into a blender and make a milkshake out of it mm-hmm. so i get yep. the best of both worlds and i pay twice as much money for I'm it i'm with you there and you also if you have lactose intolerance like some of us may have you would pay for it later or i should say the people who live with yes. you will pay for it yeah. later yeah you're totally fine this is rated pg-13 yep i was gonna say that word again but i didn't so there you go folks um we uh we got a couple more episodes on 
diving into these four specific areas of crit contemporary critical theory and how they kind of surface in our lives. Um, and maybe we'll explore a whole host of ice cream categories in each of those episodes. But um, go ahead, check out those next ones as we get a little deeper into how contemporary critical theory informs our lives and our worldview. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for checking out the Salted Podcast. You can find other episodes and topics on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Make sure you click follow so you'll get notifications whenever new episodes come out. Thanks for listening.